Baca here, hoping that you're having a good afternoon. You're tuned to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online around the world at kpfa.org. Stay with us now for Cover to Cover. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, director of the Pacifica Radio Archives, and welcome to From the Vault. On today's edition of From the Vault, we turn the subject that brings smiles all around, humor. And so I said, well, you've got to tell me what very rich people, like, what do they make small talk about? She said, well, we talk about jewelry catalogs. Uh, she says, there's important jewelry, there's very important, and there's highly important. <laughs> In 2010, the Pacifica Radio Archives decided to incorporate humor as an official subject into our two-day national broadcast and fundraiser. PRA longtime volunteers Halnani Singer and Curtis Metcalf researched the archives collection, and they came up with some wonderful examples of humor and wit in the progressive movement. Some of the names you might expect, like superstar comedians Lily Tomlin, George Carlin, and even Groucho Marx. But we also included some people who may not have made a living in the field of comedy, but were humorists just the same, like Molly Ivins, Mort Saul, Studs Terkel, and even John Lennon. We begin with a short clip from one of Pacifica's most famous alumni, Richard Pryor, who had this to say during one of KPFA's fun drives in the summer of 1971. It's uh, really uh, hard to be funny when, you know, what's went down at uh, Attica, you know, really upsets me. And, you know, a lot of people talking about it. And I'm, I'm kind of uptight to talk about it or say anything that I really feel about it. But I have understanding, you know. <clears throat> what I dislike very much is that they're trying to insult our intelligence by trying to make us think we ought to do something about it or that they think they are going to do something about it, which is absolutely nothing. But they're doing a number. You know, on the uh, news, the commercial news, as it were, you know, they told a lie now they... You know, they got to deal with it, because I know every nigga knows what happens, that people don't really care about it, you know. I wrote something about it. I'm a comedian. I wrote a little comedy, and I like to uh, <clears throat> read something to you. Murder the dogs, the mad frothing at the mouth dogs with expensive capped teeth and fat bellies full of baby starving. No, don't wait until they die. Kill them now. Because if you let them live and die a natural death, you'll be bitten and left to die in agony. And the mad dog, Pack, will then sniff out and search for your children to eat, eat whole, flush, bones, and soul. These beasts will then retard the ones they have not eaten in their schools of unlearning. They will teach you, they will teach your children to do their hunting and capture their own to bring to them to devour and the dog, the mad dog, will end up patting you on the head and throwing you a bone. I heard a lady, that's that, I heard a lady uh, on uh, TV today talking about Well, I know they just did the best they could when they went in there and they killed my husband. I'm sure it was an accident. And then I don't hold any ill feelings against them. I mean, they're prisoners there and everything. I don't even know why those kind of people are there or anything like that. And all I got to say is that it's very understandable. I have tried. I told Phil the other day that everything was going to be okay. Relaxing at night, got the police protecting them. 
driving through the neighborhood looking for niggers. What are you doing walking in this neighborhood so late? Uh, I just got off work. Wonder well, where is that, buddy? Uh, you don't talk like a worker. Let's have, let's do that little shuffle. It's a bitch when you have learned how to act to police when you get arrested. I always get, because I'm a coward anyway, so I always get, I take the time route. Get very timey when the police come. Hi, Mr. Officer, can I help you search myself? <laughs> I don't have anything on me, but uh, be glad to go downtown and wait for you. By the way, people need uh, money here at the station. And uh, the way you can send money in is just subscribe. Oh, you got to subscribe. You don't send money in. It's not like a donation. You subscribe and you get a book or something like that. I don't know much about it, but I always hear them asking for it on the radio. And it's uh, the closest thing to uh, free radio in America that I know of. And it'd be nice to support it if you listen to it and enjoy it. That was the incomparable Richard Pryor while on the air on KPFA in the summer of 1971. In this next segment, we will hear from Groucho Marx and George Carlin. Not much to say about these two men other than they are doggone funny. Our first selection is from a panel on comedy from 1961 recorded at the Beverly Hilton in L.A. The panel includes Carl Reiner, Steve Allen, Groucho Marx, Robert Young, and L.A. Times columnist Cecil Smith. I'm glad I had my dinner. I wish I'd had mine. Does that answer your question? You may before the evening, though, don't you? Also because of heredity, sometimes. I mean, if you have a funny mother or a funny father, it's possible you'll, have, you'll live in a funny home. Uh, Mrs. Montrose had a funny boy, but I, I don't think uh, uh, comedians are nurtured any place. They happen because of society and environment. That's all. Funny is enough. Uh, I think that does it for the evening. That's good. Yeah. It's an interesting word. The word. It leads a double life, the word First of all, it means sometimes, most of the time, what does it mean? It means to make love, right? We're going to make love, eh? We're going to and we're going to We're going to make love, right? make love, right? And it also means the beginning of life. It's the act that begins life. So there's the word hanging around with words like love and life. And yet, on the other hand, it's also a word that we really use to hurt each other with, man. It's a heavy, it's one that you save toward the end of the argument, right? <laughs> you finally can't make... Ah, you, man! From the conclusion to the declaratory order issued by the Federal Communications Commission, February 21st, 1975. The commission concludes that words such as... and 
depict sexual and excretory activities and organs in a manner patently offensive by contemporary community standards for the broadcast medium and are, accordingly, indecent when broadcast on radio or television. Well, this is a little out of character for me, but I mean it because... Uh, Pacific it, is a place for people to get out of character all the time. <laughs> that's right. I, I, I have always been aware of... Um, the the very interesting aspect of paradox and um, and uh, uh, feelings and odds uh, feelings and, and and thoughts that are seemingly at odds with each other but they have to coexist I mean oversimplifying it there there's no light without dark and 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 the reverse so uh, it may be in spite of my best instincts about withdrawing from everything uh, I would say that uh, for the sake of uh, Boy, non-commercial. And, and that, that's, see, the other night I was watching a Marx Brothers movie, and I was so happy that I came off the book tour day that was so difficult, and I got into bed, turned on the hotel TV, and I was so lucky. First of all, it was a black and white thing on. Secondly, it was the Marx Brothers. And thirdly, it was the Disney Channel, and I knew there'd be no interruptions. So... The, the lack of interruption is one of the most important aspects of this kind of radio. The fact that this is the commercial. You know, that it's not how clean you can get your wash, how fast you can drive your car, but just how maybe you can spread your own ideas around a little bit. That, I mean, if I had to make some it, sort of clumsy appeal, that would be it. Well, it wasn't clumsy. It was grateful. And we thank you, George Carlin, for saying that. Listeners out there right now who want to support this kind of broadcasting, which has fought for freedom of speech but over the years. it's not Disney. It's not Disney. It's not Rupert Murdoch. It isn't Ted Turner. It's never going to be any of those. It is always going to be listener-sponsored and free to try to say as much as it can say. If you support that and you want to support this station, call up right now. We're about to give you the phone numbers. This is Pacifica Radio. We need your help in order to continue. George Carlin's been very generous over the past, uh, oh, 60 years of his life, <laughs> and we hope he'll be around for at least another 60. These are the numbers to call right now. And thank you very much, George Carlin. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. This is From the Vault, presented by the Pacifica Radio Archives. For more information or to order a copy of this program, call the archives at 1-800-735-0230. And now back to our program. Next, we hear from two women from the world of comedy, Kate Clinton and Lily Tomlin. We'd like to shout out to Lily Tomlin and her partner, Jane Wagner, who both were part of our advisory panel on our very first National Endowment for the Arts Preservation and Access Grant. Thanks for helping us start the game of making these recordings available to the public. Recently, I had the pleasure of speaking with Lily Tomlin and Jane Wagner in KPFK Studios, located in Los Angeles, California. The discussion centered on their new movie, The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. I am now creative consultant to these aliens from outer space. They're a kind of cosmic fact-finding committee. Amongst other projects, they've been searching all over for signs of intelligent life. It's a lot trickier than it sounds. I wanted a new stage play, you know, because we'd had a big success with Appearing Nightly in 77. And ever after, I would ask Jane, please, please, to write me another show so that I could go back to the theater. And eventually, one day, I was on the road, and she sent me the first act of the search. Never underestimate the power of the human mind to forget. The other day, I forgot where I put my house keys. I looked everywhere. And then I remembered, I don't have a house. 
I forget more important things, too, like the meaning of life. It'll come to me. Let's just hope when it does, I'll be in. Uh-oh, I must dash soon. My space chums say they are learning so much about us since they began to timeshare my trances. They said to me, Trudy, the human mind is so strange. I told them, that's nothing compared to the human genitals. The bored socialite. Now, uh, is this someone that you know that you got this idea from? She had already written, Kate, and I went away to, uh, to a spa, you know? Anyway, so this rich woman was there, and, uh, and she wore gloves and sunscreen, see, and a hat. The thing is, I said to her, because the piece, of course, Jane had written this piece about the haircut, about getting a bad yeah. haircut. Yeah. And so after I became friendly with her, I said, uh, tell me, have you ever had, because she had a very classic haircut, you know. I mean, her hair was all one length. And she would either wear it parted on the side with a barrette if she was wearing something casual, or she'd have it pulled back for the evening with a big, you know, kind of Bill Blast bow or something. And um, so you asked her. So I said, "Have you ever had a bad haircut?" And she's, "Oh no, it would never happen to me." <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, so she left. And a couple hours later, she came back and she says, "I did get a bad hair haircut once." She thought I thought about it, and she realized. She said, "I got a trendy haircut." <laughs> She'd gone accidentally, she'd gone to a, hair, a friend's hairdresser and somehow he must have snatched her hair up and done something with it, see. And she was absolutely humiliated. It was the worst thing that had ever happened to her. She said, I didn't go out for months. This is a true story. A friend of mine was looking in the paper. She saw an ad and it said, 1980, slate blue, Mercedes-Benz, $85. My friend called the number and says, I'm here calling about the Mercedes-Benz. Is this true? And the woman says, absolutely. Uh, she says, come on up, try it. She, my friend goes up, and there in the driveway is a 1980 slate blue Mercedes-Benz, a sport de coupe. I'm talking a suede roof, okay? We got a car. She goes up to the door. She says to the woman, um, I'm here about the car. And the woman says, well, it's right there. And my friend says, well, uh, has it got a motor in it? The woman says, yeah, it's got a motor in it. Take it out for a test drive. My friend takes it out for a test drive. It's gorgeous, just beautiful. She comes back and she says, well, if this $85 is no misprint, just write you a check right now. And the woman said, yep, $85. My friend writes out the check for $85. They exchange the papers, and the woman is given the keys to my friend. And she says, wouldn't you like to know about this car? My friend says, yes, I'd like to know about this car. And the woman says, well... I'm 67 years old, and my husband is 70 years old, and last month he left me for a 21-year-old woman. Two days ago, I got a postcard from him, and it said, I'm in Florida. Need money. Sell the car. Thank you very much. You are listening to From the Vault, this week presenting selections from our Giants of Comedy, Laughter from the Left compilation. For a copy of this program or to browse the entire From the Vault catalog, go to fromthevaultradio.org or call us here at the archives at 1-800-735-0230. And now back to our program. Some of America's great populists use humor as a vehicle to reach the broadest possible audience. In this next segment, we hear from two of America's great humorists, Molly Ivins and Studs Terkel. 
shock to all of us, but over the last 10 or 15 years, our girl Molly Ivins has learned to dress, uh, run a comb through her hair now and then, and give a fairly decent speech. I remember one time they put up a manger right here in the Capitol, and uh, I was calling around to get reaction from our state officials. Ann Richards was then the state treasurer. I said, Ann, what do you think? Does the manger have to go? She said, oh, I hate to see them take the manger out of the Capitol. Could be the only chance we'll ever get to have three wise men in that building. suggest to you here is that as we uh, fight to maintain uh, the right and uh, freedoms enumerated in the Constitution and particularly in the Bill of Rights, um, even though this is real important heavy, it doesn't mean we can't have fun doing this stuff. But I talk to myself going down the street. And I find the audience very appreciative. <laughs> and so I talk. I, I don't ride a cab, so... I mean, I don't ride a car, drive a car, so I take the bus a lot. One couple I cannot crack. Yeah, that, tell that story. It's well, a, story. a lot of young people today... We know a lot of young people are anti-union. And so a lot of young people we know don't know how Social Security came about. Or unemployment com- it was late unions, bottom-up stuff that did 40 hour week. So I have this couple. They're waiting for the bus for about a year. A very handsome couple. He has J. Press suits and Brooks Brothers and has the latest issue Wall Street Journal in his hand. And she's very beautiful, stunning. And Neiman Marcus, Bloomingdale. And she's got the latest Vanity Fair in her hand. And so, but I can't crack them. And my egos, I have an ego, my, my ego is at stake. <laughs> and so the bus is late and coming, and I say, Labor Day is coming up. It's the wrong thing to say. <laughs> the guy looks at me as though now an old coward looking at a speck on a piece of cloth. <laughs> and now, of course, my ego is really affronted. Banners flying, we shall not be moved, UAW, CIO. About a CIA, I was going to say. <laughs> and there was that too, you know. And, but in any event... He says, he turns to me and says, we despise unions. I said, wow, I got a pigeon here. There's no bus. And so I say, it's a non sequitur. I say, how many hours a day do you work? He's caught unaware. He says, eight. I said, how come you don't work 18 hours a day? Great, great. You know why you work eight hours a day? Because four guys in Chicago in 1886 got hanged fighting for the eight-hour day. I refer to any market affair. You can see I've not, everything's fair in love and war. You know? <laughs> and, 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 but this time, he's a little scared. He's an old nut. You know? And the bus is late and coming. And I got him pinned against the mailbox. He can't get away. You know? Meantime, she's very beautiful. Remember, she's tremendous. She dropped the vanity fair. And I pick it up in a courtly fashion, hand it to her, you know. And, and then I say, how many hours a week do you work? Got a pen. He's, he's scared now, I think. And he says, 40. How come you don't work 80 hours a week? You know why? Because men and women got their heads busted back in the 30s, fighting for the 40-hour week for you. By this time, they hop on the bus. I never see him again. But to this day, they lived in this condominium upscale facing the bus stop. And about every morning, she's looking out the window, and he's saying, is that old nut still down there? <laughs> why do you do what you do? What? Why do you interview? Why God, do you... I don't know. Why do I do what, what is it? I'm curious. Propels you. I, I'm my epitaph. 
curiosity did not kill this cat. <laughs> American icons Molly and Studs, we leap over the pond to the British Isles, where we hear from my dear friend, the late Quentin Crisp, and Jessica Mitford, who is also known as Decca. When I was in Woking, a man said, all you want us to do is wear funny clothes. <laughs> I want you to wear funny clothes if you're funny people. <laughs> But if when you make the journey to the interior, if when you look into your soul, you find that you're ordinary, then that's what you must be. But you must be so ordinary that people say, come to my party and bring your humdrum friend, and that means you. <laughs> Wouldn't you be different if you had been young now? Yes, indeed, I should. Uh, obviously, my, my whole attitude has been made more shrill by the fact that I was being uh, prevented from being myself in a time gone by. So my life became a protest very early on, whereas now nobody has to make a protest in regard to their appearance because fancy dress is national costume. <laughs> Well, the head of the Funeral Directors Association, in his review, said that the book was a negative diatribe. Oh, I loved that. It was quite a puzzler, because I'd never heard of a positive diatribe. <laughs> you know, the idea was, you know, to reduce the price of funerals. And so I thought, well, why pick on the undertakers? You're robbed every day in the supermarket and by the, uh, by the medical profession and so on. Until he began bringing back the magazines with names like Casket and Sunnyside, and Mortuary Management, my favorite thing, Mortuary Management. I mean, you probably like the New Yorker or something, but for me, it's Mortuary Management. So I started selling in for free samples. Uh, um, I saw, for example, the Practical Burial Footwear Company of Columbus, Ohio. So I sent in for some Practical Burial Footwear, and I got the Fitterford Oxford, and it's fitterfoot because according to a leaflet that comes with it, it was designed after two years of research to fit the deceased foot after rigor mortis sets in. <laughs> Fascinating idea. And I mean the uses of research. And it's fitterfoot it does up the front um, and also up the back. And then, unfortunately, my son, he was a teenager at the time, he wore them around the house and they soon fell apart. But it was a good idea. And the next duo that we have to present are Mort Saul and John Lennon. Well, now, in that, so you see, internationally, we're in great shape. A lot of people like the president. He gets along well with them. He's welcome. And uh, I don't know if the army would be welcome or the marines, but he's welcome. And... Uh, that now leaves us uh, facing new leadership. You see, regardless of the marvelous job he's done of, of globalism, uh, we are now faced with choosing a new leader in November. So you only have nine months to get to this, eight. And uh, it's a very, uh, you know, pressing. And uh, I think that uh, there's going to be a little problem because, as I say, uh, you're in certain uh, areas of bigotry. And we haven't solved a lot of those areas. As you know, uh, I started doing the material about integration uh, a long time ago. And uh, it's not that I dropped it in frustration, but uh, I pretty much drove my audiences crazy with it, frankly. 
a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, place the blame in the wrong shoulders. A lot of, I felt at the time, uh, a lot of people uh, blame the president uh, for this integration issue. Uh, actually, he hasn't been overly active in those areas. He's had a lot in his mind. Uh, I suppose if, uh, I always told Southern people, if anybody, you should blame the Chief Justice and the Chief Justice Warren, who, as soon as he uh, started pushing for that decision, he began to get threatening calls in the middle of the night, veiled threats from the chairman of the Republican National Committee. <laughs> Say, look, it's just a job, and then he'd hang up. So, <laughs> at any rate... We are now forced, of course, of course, every time I meet somebody from the South, they say, it's easy for you to deal in abstracts, but you don't have a sister. You know that group? <laughs> so, I must admit that I am torn because uh, I, uh, I don't want just anyone marrying my sister, whereas my father, for instance, is willing for almost anyone to marry my sister. Anyway, I did want to, uh, I did want to close by saying that uh, you really got to be on your guard. Uh, don't let bigotry get the best of you this year. And uh, don't become a self-conscious liberal and vote for anybody because uh, they belong to a minority faith group. But judge them as statesmen. You know, be fair. And uh, don't let anybody throw you. The, the three biggest cases of discrimination in the news that we had uh, was the case of Admiral Rickover, which I got into trouble with myself because I once suggested uh, in a nightclub, you know, which is a pretty irreverent temple, I once suggested right here in the Sunset Strip that there were certain forces in the Pentagon that were somewhat anti-Semitic. And uh, <laughs> the other case, <laughs> right, the other case, of course, it was the case of Admiral Straws, who was rejected. You may remember him. Uh, he was rejected uh, in his nomination for Secretary of Commerce by uh, the Senate and Time magazine, a liberal weekly, which you may indulge in, uh, suggested that it was anti-Semitism, which is a strong charge against the United States Senate. And uh, I know Admiral Straws. And uh, I assure you that while theoretically it could have been anti-Semitism, I think it's entirely possible to dislike Admiral Strauss for himself. I to make that clear. Now, <laughs> in the fall of 1971, inmates at the Attica State Prison in New York seized hostages and demanded improved conditions. Governor Nelson Rockefeller ordered 1,500 armed police and state troopers to storm the prison. They killed 31 prisoners and nine hostages. A benefit concert was held at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. John and Yoko headed the bill. I'd just like to say it's an honor and a pleasure to be here at the Apollo and for the reasons we're all here. Some of you might wonder what I'm doing here with no drummers or no nothing like that. Well, you might know I lost my old band or I left it. I'm putting... I'm putting an electric band together, but it's not ready yet, and uh, these things like this keep coming up, so I have to just busk it. So I'm going to sing a, sing a song now you might know. It's called Imagine. And that does it for this week's From the Vault. That was John Lennon. And also on this week's program, you heard Molly Ivins, Groucho Marx, George Carlin, Mort Saul, Carl Reiner, Quentin Crisp, Jessica Mitford, Lily Tomlin, and Kate Clinton. If you would like to join our campus campaign sponsoring school libraries across the country, visit us online at PacificaRadioArchives.org or call us at one 800 
735-0230. This episode was written and produced by our volunteers here in the archives, Haunani Singer and Curtis Metcalf. The series is written and produced by Mark Torres and Brian DeShazer. The series is executive produced by the Pacifica Radio Archives and your host, Brian DeShazer. From the Vault is presented as part of the Pacifica Radio Archives Preservation and Access Project, which is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, past grants from the Grammy Foundation, the Ford Foundation, partnerships with the UC Berkeley Moffat Library, and from Pacifica Station listeners like you. Our theme music is by Kevin Drum Holiday. Thanks for listening and keeping our history alive, and also happy holidays towards this end of the year. See you next year. Funk. You ever wondered about the funk? And why this music is so hard? What is funk? Where does it come from? Why does everybody want to rap on it, sample it, dance to it, make love to it, eat biscuits with it, take on the system with it? Who are these people? You want to know about the history of funk? Tune in, Fridays at 10, with Ricky Vincent and the crew on KPFA. I'm